0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pour Over Podcast, what is an extension of Peaks and Valleys. In this space, we seek to share the table with storytellers and seekers alike, hopefully and almost certainly over a great cup of coffee, because we know that brings people to the table. We seek and want to see you flourish in your mental health journey. I'm your host, Jonathan Coggins.
1: And I'm Kyle Ridgely, and I hope that this space is safe and inclusive for all. Welcome to the table.
0: Hello everybody and welcome to the Poor River Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jonathan Coggins, and I'm joined by my other host, Kyle Ridgely. What's up? Kyle, how you doing on this beautiful morning, sir.
1: You know, I mean, it's a Sunday, so I strive to not think about the next day, Monday. But um, even when I tell myself I'm not going to think about Monday, it rolls in around probably about lunchtime. It'll hit me all of a sudden. It's like, ah, it's Monday. But I mean, it is just the part of the process, but I'm doing good. It was a good weekend overall. So got some nice uh, rest and self care in. So uh, we'll see what Monday morning brings. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the the Sunday scaries. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. Never well, good you... yeah. Yeah. It they, is... never, they never like, they just sneaks up on you and never really, you know, you don't really have time to process it. You just kind of hit you in the face sometimes. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it's been a good weekend and you got some rest and you took some self-care because mm-hmm. we talk about that a lot on this podcast that you need to check in with yourself and get that rest and get that self-care um i mean you're you're no good to you know yourself or anybody else if you don't take care of yourself um yep so well just our normal you know mental health check-in you know how have you been doing like how's you know how has been your your rhythms of rest and self-care been how how's kyle doing with his own mental health
1: mm, that's a good question um that's uh i couldn't give you an answer right now i guess all i can say right now is that i you know not in a bad place i'm not in a a funk right now so that's good um just i don't know how to feel um yeah i think there's just a lot of stuff that uh i guess that i hold on a regular basis um you know, and what I do on a daily basis. And then also, you know, holding my own stuff and navigating uh, my own stuff that can be kind of hard sometimes, Um, especially uh, just the way things are right now. I mean, uh, think about housing, housing is a big thing for me, I'm gonna have to find a new house soon. And uh, the housing market in our area is not very kind. And um, the, you know, the amount that you make isn't keeping up with everything that's going up, so that's just kind of, I guess that's the thing I'm kind of processing through in my own mental power uh, right now. But I'm not in a bad place, so that's good. Yep. But I, I don't know how to tell you how I feel about it. What does <laughs> that make? What
0: what what is one thing in your journey recently that a tool or you know one of your mechanisms for um, mental rest or you know? coping with that heaviness what is one tool that you have used recently that somebody
1: else might resonate with Um, so for me I like to use a lot of different types of grounding exercises um, and sensory exercises where um, sometimes my anxiety can get to a place where you know it's, it's nothing helps it seems like nothing helps a walk doesn't help fresh air doesn't help and sometimes when those places I get at that I guess anxiety level is laying down, like whether it's on the couch or whatever, and just kind of like um, tapping yourself, like just put your hand on your arm and just kind of scan your body. Just be in that moment and know, okay, I'm here. I'm in this space. What's around me? What am I hearing? Um, sometimes when we're Overstimulated by that 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 strong pull of anxiety sometimes our senses are off um, and we don't read things as well as we we would like to Uh, we take in things and we're not able to interpret them in the best way possible so you know just bringing yourself to a place of okay this is these are my surroundings I'm here I'm safe what do I hear what am I smelling what am I seeing what am I feeling And so that tends to be really helpful for me is to whether that's a grounding exercise or not just sitting in a place where there's no distractions, there's no noise and just sitting in the moment and kind of bringing myself into that, that space. um, No, that's, yeah,
0: that's, that's good, man. Just um, that grounding of um, my, my, my therapist, actually one thing, it kind of reminds me of this, that he encouraged me to try just like, you know, closing your eyes and pointing out what five things do you hear around you, you know, Mm -hmm. or what five things can you, can you feel, you know, what's the texture, you know, kind of that grounding thing. I think that's good. Yeah. And one thing that's helped me recently, you know, I've, I've, you know, just been processing through a lot myself recently. Um, I mean, you know, this Kyle, uh, you know, my grandfather passed away last week, and so I had to go be with family. and I I love my family. I do, but it it can be a lot sometimes, you know. Uh, and so just a lot of processing around that, you know. And you know, the conversations that we've had on this podcast about, uh, you know, Christianity and navigating a lot of that, you know, death can be a whole nother conversation either post, you know, evangelicalism or processing through that, death is a whole different thing to process, you know. And so man just you you mentioned fresh air and one thing that has just really like helped me recently is just taking out the garbage has become a good relaxing activity for me because I get to get outside I get to slow down you know I get some fresh air and I do it at night so like I look up at the sky and like you know I just see the stars and like it's just that moments mm-hmm. where I can mm-hmm. just be you know that little short yeah. walk and like breathe and like mm-hmm. you know look up and it just kind of takes the focus off all these things and processing and um, you know just 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 taking in that environment and that beauty so
1: yeah that moment of rest even if it's just two minutes or three minutes it's um, it can be something that can help for sure
0: yeah yeah awesome well thanks for sharing that man I I know that you know resonate with somebody Um, and, and good helpful tools to rest and cope and you know slow down a little bit awesome well moving on to our guest and like what our conversation is going to be focused around today um we have alex wait and i'll in a a second just hand it over to alex to you know just introduce himself and a little bit about him and you know his own podcast and really whatever he wants to share um but he reached out to me through one of our um podcasts guests matching platforms and his his story his journey um a lot of the stuff that it it was on his public profile just really resonated with me um and and one part of his story in particular that we haven't kind of specifically talked about on this podcast that's a part of his journey that i thought hey i think that will be you know a really helpful and you know, life-giving conversation. Um, so yeah, welcome Alex. Um, thanks for, um, carving out this time and just coming on and sharing your voice with us. So I'll just hand it over to you to, uh, like I said, just tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you do, where you're at really, whatever you want to share.
2: Well, uh, thank you, Jonathan and Kyle, first of all, for having me on. I really appreciate you guys making the time for me as well. And, uh, giving me a chance to to share a little bit. Um but yeah my name's Alex. I I'm born and raised here in Denver, Colorado. And I am married for eight years, two beautiful children, um, that hopefully don't make an appearance on this episode. Um uh, <laughs> but uh, they are they are there behind the door somewhere. And um yeah I um one of the things that I Realize I've been viewing my life through a lot recently is I have ADHD. I was diagnosed as an adult and didn't realize how much it affects kind of my everyday life and really spent a lot of my career growing up, you know, really, really was impacted going on mission trips and stuff with my family. Primarily went to Ecuador and then helped my dad start a nonprofit down in Mexico uh, when I was 16, spent a lot of my time doing stuff like that and really, create an identity around a uh, service and, you know, being a servant and th- that sort of identity and didn't realize that that was like a part of my ADHD was that I had to be able to be motivated to do something. I have to feel like it's worthwhile and I have to feel like passionate about it to some extent. And so, you know, things like taking out the trash are not fun for me <laughs> because I don't have passion <laughs> for that. So I'll forget it unless my wife reminds me two or three times. <laughs> and so yeah, and ultimately got to the point where I was diagnosed as an adult, like I said, and really had to evaluate how I view my whole life through this. And I was jumping from job to job, you know, having a hard time staying at a place for more than a year or so at a time and really trying to figure out like what's wrong with me and like why why can't I do that? Cause I'm a hard worker, like I, I care a lot about what I'm doing. Like I said, I was in nonprofit work and got to this point where I realized I would, during COVID I was, I was laid off. And then the second job that I got during COVID ulti- ultimately got fired from because I got detached from the purpose of their mission. It was an after-school program and they hired me to do sort of like mentoring life skills sort of stuff. And, and ultimately ended up being told to do kind of jobs that didn't really align with all of that more summer planning for kids and stuff, which, you know, that doesn't really work well with my ADHD. And so I became very detached from the mission and all of that in the first place. And ultimately, ended up getting getting let go from there because I became a really bad employee. Because I, you know, like I said, I was detached, I didn't care as much. And use that as a real, a real reflection point in my life to be like, okay, well, what is it that I want to do? What, what am I going to do with my life? Because this isn't working, I need to I need to, I'm burnt out on nonprofit work. I need to find something that works for me and realize that what I need to do is I need to start working for myself. And so um, my wife and I had owned a business prior that uh, we had to walk away from that didn't work out quite well, but really loved that experience. Even though, you know, we weren't making any money at the time, you know, being able to work for ourselves was something that was a big, important thing. And I took took what I learned from that experience and decided to start my own podcast and uh, my podcast was it is excuse me it's my take on my social justice journey because you know like we we briefly talked about in our in our pre-interview there I I really was trying to find a way to enter that social justice space it was a space that I felt really drawn to and really passionate about and didn't know where to take up space as a straight white guy, and Mm. ultimately landed on the podcast. And I I have people on my podcast to, to share their stories and learn from them and their stories and the ways that are different from what they've been through than what I've had to go through. And I believe that the foundation of hate and discrimination in our world comes from that lack of understanding of people who are different from us. And so if we can take the time to listen to someone's story, we can really you know, form some connections with them and, and really humanize them in a way that helps us to, in my opinion, better create empathy for, for those people and begin to look at the world a bit differently through the lens of others, in addition to our own lenses. And so that's ultimately what I've started doing and fell in love with podcasting. I now have started a podcast production business. And so focusing on kind of nonprofit cause oriented brands and people to produce podcasts for and, uh, yeah, I, in true ADHD fashion, I kind of forgotten what you originally asked me to talk about, but I <laughs> rambled along a, a little ways here, but that's a little bit about me. No, you're good. That
0: was, that was great. Thanks for, um, sharing that with us and our listeners and helping us, you know, just get to know Alex a little better. Um, and so we're going to focus on like two areas. I mean, really the big ones that you hit was, you know, living with you know Mm -hmm. ADHD and like navigating um so so I I work in a support role for adults with disabilities and I see Mm -hmm. very much so how living in the world we live in especially in the west Mm -hmm. um very neurotypical world that that how how that affects you know the adults that that i support on a daily basis Mm -hmm. and so that idea of um you like navigating life being diagnosed with adhd as an adult in a neurotypical world like you know Mm -hmm. navigating the world in that way um and some of your journey with that I, i think Again, that's something we haven't specifically talked about. And I think it would be fruitful and, you know, somebody will resonate with your own journey. Um, and then that flip side, um, that big part you mentioned that really kind of drew me to to you and your story was um, this, this realization that, hey, maybe there are some things that I need to learn and even step into um, as a straight white man, um, that, you know, maybe there's some areas I need to gain some understanding or grow or like, um, and then hearing about that journey and like what that, what that's been like for you. Um, so yeah, I guess we would just start out with, you know, your ADHD journey and, um, I, I guess my first question, like, uh, what what was it like as an adult to hear, "Hey, you're diagnosed with ADHD."
2: Yeah, so my diagnosis story is interesting because I didn't, I wasn't prepared to be diagnosed with it, and so I originally, I was, I was in college and I was failing classes. I remember i just had so much anxiety around school and it's it's just such this thing where like so like in high school like i i was smart enough i feel like to to get by in high school without trying that hard and i'm not saying i'm not a brilliant person but like i could get b's and c's and that was good enough for me and didn't have to try super hard and so i got to college did the same thing and got my ass kicked sorry i don't know if i'm allowed to swear no you're Um, good good. (laughs) but uh you know, tried the same thing when I got to college, and I was like, "Oh, this isn't going to fly anymore," and because it's so much harder, and and it takes so much more work and so much more dedication, and it's really set up for for people who, like you said, are neurotypical. And there's not a lens that I had at the time. The amount of books that I had to read, sorry, uh, the amount of uh, cliff notes that I ended up reading, um, <laughs> and you know, papers that I had to write. And I remember I just got so overwhelmed so many times. And I one one story that I like to tell is I would get to the point where I would skip classes every once in a while because I would just get so overwhelmed by it. And I had this uh, I believe it was an accounting class, some sort of one of one of my business classes early on. And I would, I would look at the syllabus and everything and get a sense for the teacher. And you know, second semester we had a um we had a review for a test and I was like, okay, I'll show up. Like I I missed the class before. I was like, okay, it's fine. I'll show up for the review and get myself ready for the test and all this. Okay. Well, I mixed up my dates somehow. I don't know what I did wrong, you know, other than just not going to class, but I came a day late or two, uh, a week late. And so I came the day after the class, after the test, not the day before. And so I spent the, I have no idea what she talked about for the rest of the lesson, but I wasn't paying attention. What I was doing was, you know, they, they have their, on their syllabus, a lot of times how they rank how much everything's weighted and all this stuff. I'm like, okay, I know my grade. If I got a zero on this test, what do I need to get on everything else to pass the class? And so I'm doing that math. I'm like, oh, 95 on everything. That's not, probably not going to happen. And so the logical thing to do would be to walk up to the teacher and say, hey, I messed this up, what can we do? Well, that gave me so much anxiety to go up and say that and have that really vulnerable moment of I really, you know, F this up. Uh, I just walked out and I went into class the next time. I was just so defeated and something in me just made me go up to the front and say, hey, uh, should I drop this class? I missed the test. Um, And she goes, that's okay. I've been waiting for you to come talk to me. She let me retake the test. I ended up passing the class. And there was a a moment following that where it didn't change my life. Like I that wasn't like my, uh, my rock bottom. I ended up failing more classes after that. And ultimately, I was fortunate enough in my life to have people who really cared about me. My parents noticed that I had ended up being really depressed. And they got me into therapy. And That was that was the big thing for me. I really enjoyed my therapist. It was really helpful. By that time, I had dropped out of school and was kind of on putting it on hold. And so ultimately my therapist ended up referring me to a psychiatrist who then diagnosed me with ADHD. And when I got my diagnosis, it was one of those things where he started asking questions, you know, towards that diagnosis. And I was somehow picking up on what he was saying, where he was leading. I was like, Oh my gosh, he's, he's leading me towards ADHD. And it wasn't this big, like depressive, you know, blow to me in any sort of way. For me, it was, Oh, thank God. And now I know what's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And it was like, okay, so we can fix this. Right. Which, you know, I wouldn't say that now necessarily, because I'm still, I'm still being fixed, but To me, it was a huge relief to have that label because then there was a way for me to view myself that I could then do something about. Because until that point, I was just like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't get myself to go to class. It makes no sense. I can't describe it to someone. You know, if I tell someone like, I just don't go to class because, you know, it, it sounds scary. Like as an adult, like... That There's no way to conceptualize that. It's a different kind of fear, a different kind of anxiety, a different kind of mental state. And I learned a lot about myself then because my ADHD isn't typical ADHD. I, I'm not bouncing off the walls all the time. And that's what we think of in with ADHD for the most part. And we've painted this picture of it's you know five-year-old boys who can't sit still. Well, I have a five-year-old kid and he can't sit still, and I don't know if he has ADHD or not. So like, it's not a great worldview of it. And so for me, it was like, okay, this is how I can understand myself. My lack of motivation to do things that I don't care about is it is a part of my ADHD. It's not, it's not something that's wrong with me. And so for me, it gave me, it gave me language, it gave me context to how to view myself and then how to work on that. So it's something that there's no, there's not like a fix for it. Like I got medicated. I've been on and off medication since then I'm on now. And I don't think I should ever go off again. Some people don't, don't need it. Shouldn't have it. It's a, uh, it's definitely a, a journey, the medication journey. I, what I always, we were talking about a neurotypical world. What's I just like to spend a quick second talking about like getting medicated as someone with ADHD, the process of getting medicated. I need medication for it's, it's the most ridiculous thing. I, when I recently just got, I had to get re-diagnosed. Cause I went a couple years ago when I started getting on my meds again, my psychiatrist had retired, so I couldn't go back to him. And so I go to, I had heard stories of my primary care kid uh, could, possibly prescribe for me. I was like, okay, that sounds way easier. So I go to my primary care, and they they have to set me up a appointment with their psychiatrist. He's only in once a month. Okay, so I reschedule, do that with them. All right, he says, okay, I confirm you have ADHD. This is what you should be taking based on your history. Okay, I knew that. Okay, thanks. And then he's like, oh, but I can't prescribe it. So your primary care will prescribe that for you. Okay, so I schedule another appointment with my primary care. She, she prescribes it, and she goes, okay, well, this is just a filler until you find a new psychiatrist. I'm like, why didn't you tell me that in the first place? So then I had to, she was prescribing for me for three months while I find, found another psychiatrist, went to another psychiatrist. That They have to go through the re-diagnosing process. And this doesn't make sense necessarily to a lot of people, I don't think, but that's a lot of appointments. Yeah. One of my ADHD things that I hate calling the doctor, I will do anything to not call the doctor. And I couldn't necessarily even tell you why. It's just, it just gives me anxiety. So my chart has saved my life because I can send them a a message instead of, you know, calling or something, but it takes so much to just go through that process that is set up for people who don't have that. And even now being diagnosed and having that, I have, I've had the same psychiatrist since then for over two years now, and I have to get. I have to call in to get my prescription every month because it's a stimulant so it can't be auto filled and i have to check in with him every three months there's just so much that goes into it that is not set up for my brain i i'm a a week to two weeks late every time because i forget to schedule the appointment mm-hmm. because i have adhd and i feel like they should know that and just schedule it for me but you know it's just not the way yeah. our world's set up
1: yeah, yeah that's a but from what I've heard, and, and I know in some of my own journey too, is that uh, barrier to access to good, adequate, and affordable uh, mental health care, as well as you know medical care, is um, in our country particularly, is mm-hmm. uh, hard for people to navigate, um, especially those with living with uh, mental health experience or things like that, where there may be a little bit, a little bit more, um, I guess challenging to get in contact the normal way or if you have to get one medication over the other or you just like your story is like getting to one to the other being referred to this person and that person and so i think that that in our country that's one of the biggest barriers is um, is that ex- accessible uh, health care um, for um, you know for individuals you know so um, yeah for sure
0: yeah and that that's good Kyle that's something to think about like and you you know you mentioned Alex you said that um with your appointments you know that you know sometimes you're what'd you say like one one to three weeks later something like that oh um, yeah every time yeah. I and schedule
2: supposed to have it <laughs> yeah
0: yeah and and you know you pulling on the fact that I mean they 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 should know that it's not that I'm lazy or like anything like that. It's just I have ADHD and like, you know, they should know me. Right. So it's this idea of this living in a neurotypical world. Like, um, and so, so with those situations like that, for example, um, what is, what is your own journey of, um, like navigating and coping with that? Um, because I, I I know that's it's not easy, you mm-hmm. know. Um, what is your own tools or journey ways you you navigate those kind of situations with living with ADHD?
2: So a big a big part of it for me is medication, and yeah. Finding the right medication, and that's a whole other journey as well, because there's a thousand different kinds of medication, and they work differently for everyone. I had a family member reach out to me recently um, because they have ADHD and wanted to know, and my wife has ADHD as well, so she was asking us, you know, what do we take? What are our experiences? And I, of course, shared all of that, but to a certain extent, it's completely irrelevant. Everyone's medication is going to be slightly different. Everyone's ADHD is slightly different. It's a huge spectrum and it's ta- it takes a lot to fully understand. I don't know. I don't fully understand my ADHD. I struggle with it still on a regular basis. But to me, the medication was the thing that I needed to get right first. And so typically, there's so many different kinds of ADHD meds. So like I started out on Ritalin. You know, that's the classic that we all think of. Ritalin, Adderall, those sorts of things. I've taken both of those. I've taken all sorts of things like that. And for me, the, the most important th- thing in terms of my medication was I need a long acting medication because typical stimulants last like, uh, four to six hours or so. And let's think about who you're prescribing this to. Again, this is someone with ADHD. That person is not going to remember at least I'm not going to remember to take my meds, you know, <laughs> on a regular basis. So for me, I realized, okay, I need a long, they uh, a long-acting medication that that exists. So knowing that was key to me. And so when I get, went to go get re-prescribed and everything, I told them exactly what I needed. It's like I need a long-acting medication. Most likely this med because that's what I did. I ended up changing it up, going to something different. I've been on been on the medication I'm on now for a long time. It takes a lot of discipline to find the right medication because there's side effects and there's some that don't work as well and finding the right dosage. And so to me, that was a that's a big part of it, and and then now that I kind of figure out where I'm at, that drives a lot of it for me. So that's the main reason I remember my appointments is because I need more meds most of the yeah. time, and so uh, that's a big piece of it for me. And I think another part of it that that I kind of have learned and you to adapt is you just have to find whatever works for you and be okay to change it. So I've gone through periods of my life where I've relied heavily on physical journals. You know, I have, I, I've, I've bought several, you know, in different ways and formats and shapes and sizes. And, and there was a time where I would write all, so pertaining to getting all my work done and stuff like that, getting my ideas down, I would always do it that way. Well, that lasted for a few months and then I changed it and I've, I've relied heavily on, uh, habit tracking apps and stuff like that. I don't do any of those things. Now I have, uh, I have, a a list thing that I, that I use on the computer. And, and I think that's one thing that I've learned is like, be okay. Not being consistent, because that's one thing I've learned with the ADHD with having ADHD is nothing has worked for me forever. And I've I've had a lot of struggles with that, trying to find the one thing that's going to work. Like, okay, there's something that's going to change my life. For me, I haven't found that. And what I've learned is there are things that can help for a while, some longer than others. Some I've gone back to, but have that grace with yourself to be okay with. Okay, this isn't working anymore. It's okay for me to change it because one thing I I'm really good at, and maybe this is made HD, maybe this is a bit of who I am but like, I'm a really big picture thinker. And so I, I can think of things like far in advance, long, long, long-term big idea. And the small things is the things I have trouble with. You know, again, this is my, my lack of motivation for the things that I'm less passionate about. I'm less passionate about setting up appointments and stuff like that for, or like doing, checking off the small boxes that lead to the big ideas. I, but ultimately like I have to, I've learned I have to get better at those things to get to my big ideas, right? And so just have the grace with yourself in terms of finding what works for you. I steal ideas from other people all the time. Um, I've gone through different phases of doing all sorts of different things for ADHD. I tried meditation, you know for a while and you know, I paid for calm, you know, probably three times, three separate times over the past five, six years. And it, it works for a while. I really enjoy it. I do really well for like a week to a month to a couple months. And then I completely forget about it. I'm like, oh, crap. Well, I just wasted that money. No, it's not a complete waste. It's it, There's something that I don't know where I heard this term. So I don't want to take credit for making it up. But uh, my wife and I call it the ADHD tax. Sometimes you, you just pay a little bit more to make th- something accessible. And an example of that is like we go to Costco and we'll get the 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 chicken that's already already cooked, right? And my my wife's a chef. And so she obviously she could do the whole thing. But we have kids and we're very busy. And so it just makes life a little bit easier. Does it cost a little bit more? Sure. That's our ADHD tax. But it helps us to eat healthier because it's a little bit easier for us. There's less barrier to getting there. So things like that. Um it's So the, but the big thing there is like, have, have that patience with yourself because I used to really beat myself up thinking, okay, I'm, this is so frustrating. I'm not normal. I'm, if I was late to something, people are going to judge me for that or this, or for that, you, I I had to detach myself from how everyone else is going to view me because that's how I was viewing myself. I was viewing myself as abnormal to that neurotypical world. And coming to a realization and a contentment with, okay, I just work differently and this is a part of who I am. And the better I am at understanding that, the better I am at being okay with that, the better I ultimately am in succeeding in everything. And so that's a big part of it for me.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: That's good. That's good. And what, what I really heard, a big thing that I heard out of, that was one like trusting yourself that you can you Mm -hmm. have good intentions for yourself you have good intuition where you can figure out yourself and what works for you so trusting yourself like um you know checking in with yourself um you know, like you mentioned, those those things that may not work anymore, like there's a process of checking in with yourself and, you know, kind of renegotiating, re-navigating. Does this work for me anymore? You know, and that intersects
2: with that, you know, being able to trust yourself, um, I think is huge. And just to touch on that real quick, you know, using that verbiage, trusting yourself, that is something that's not only really important, it's super hard to do when you have ADHD because we're we are living in a world that teaches us that we shouldn't trust ourselves because mm-hmm. we work differently mm-hmm. than the way the world is set up. And so I got to, I, there are several times where I, I didn't, I, I have a really hard time trusting myself. And still to this day, it's not my base instinct. I'll have a great idea and I'll be like, okay, well, I'm not sure. I'll have to check this with like six other people to make sure that it's a really good idea and check it with people that, you know, don't love me unconditionally because you know, they're biased and stuff like that. But we've been, we've, I've been programmed. I feel like by this neurotypical world to not trust myself because I'm, I'm different. And it's been a, a real journey to learn, to trust myself. And a big part of that is, you know, the more I've learned about ADHD, the more I learned about myself in that context is identifying it as a part of myself just, it's just a part of who I am because we think of it as my diagnosis. And once I made the change of think from it's what's wrong with me to it's just a part of who I am, you not only you know have kind of a way to a lens to view some of those negative sides of it, some of the difficulties that it brings, but you also can start seeing some of the positive things. I, I used to think I was not a creative person at all, and I was so envious of creative type people. And I've started to realize that my creativity is just different. I just can't draw or sing or whatever. But I am a creative person and that's something that I really have over time identified as that's a part of my ADHD and my thinking differently. And that's one of the things that I've grown to love about myself that that I believe that is a big part of having ADHD. And so that goes into trusting yourself, loving yourself, those are really hard things to do, especially when you're neurodivergent, because we've been conditioned to try to change ourselves, which makes it hard to trust and love yourself when you're constantly just trying to change yourself.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, For sure. And I think that going back to that whole, our society just sees that this is the box you fit in, and this is the way that Everyone should operate. This is common knowledge. And so everyone should already assume or know this is what you do. This is how you go about life. Here's how you make phone calls. Here's how you pay. Bill. Here's how you do these things. This is the only way. And so not only are we failing and celebrating neurodiversity because we all communicate differently. We all have different experiences, whether or not we are living with, with ADHD or, uh Maybe if you are um, identifying an autistic uh, spectrum um, and being able to celebrate that everyone communicates differently and kind of we talk about this a lot in our podcast is like, you know, decolonizing mm-hmm. a lot of things like not only in the mental health world, but like. Every system that we have, that's an education, that's in our workplaces, and that you have to fit in this box in order to be a successful human being. And I think that that over time has become a detriment. And as we have grown and learned more, um, especially I think our generation, millennials and um, younger, we're learning that, hey, we don't want to live in that box anymore. It's it's. Right. Uh, it's not, it's not a great life to live. And then when we start seeing and being more aware of like, wow, there's so many more type different, different types of people in the world. And it's not this specific cut and dry. This is how you're supposed to live and the norm and things like that. So I think that's something as a society, we have to learn and grow that we still are living with colonialism to this day regardless mm-hmm. if it's over and we don't practice it the same way that it may have been done in the past but with what we think the systems and structures that are that exists and so i think that that can be a detriment to a lot of us and um and navigating hey it's okay that i forgot to make this phone call to this doctor or, hey it's okay that i didn't wash my clothes this week and i need to be on time and you know it's just like hey th- this just didn't happen and but I had a great time with friends or family, another option, a positive thing that came out of it. Um, But I can relate on some level that sometimes with living with my own ADHD experience, uh, it's sometimes I get to the point where I feel like god I feel so lazy like Mm -hmm. what is wrong with me like I know I'm not lazy I have some I have passions I'm organized I know what I'm good at and I just sit there and I'm like I didn't wash any clothes this weekend what happened to me so here I am the whole week catching up on everything and I'm like I did this to myself and so what you kind of resonating with what you said is like giving yourself that space you know um that that grace that hey you know it's okay you know it's it's um Just trusting that process, find out what works for you. And so I think for my own journey, I've had to test and measure a lot of different things that have worked and then now they don't. And as an adult, I feel like I'm struggling being um, diagnosed as a child, um, ADHD, uh, being an adult, those, those coping mechanisms and those skills that I learned from you know, <laughs> elementary school onto college don't really work that way in the adult world. It just doesn't, they don't, they don't fit anymore, you know? And so I'm trying, I'm still trying to learn how does that work for me and how does it work in the context that I'm in now? And so that's, that That can be a definite, uh, a definite race to win or a journey um, within itself for sure. So.
2: No, you said something that, you know, comes across probably, I don't want to speak for anyone necessarily, but I, for myself, this happens a lot. And I imagine this happens for a lot of us with ADHD. That word lazy creeps into our lives way too often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's something that I feel like I was a part of how people viewed me growing up. Mm-hmm. It's a part of how I started doing myself. Mm-hmm. And it's a big part of, you know, why I ended up being depressed and stuff. Because you know, like, you stop going to class, that's because you're lazy. You mm-hmm. don't do homework is mm-hmm. because you're lazy. Mm-hmm. And you procrastinate because you're lazy and you know it's something that I struggle with now it's something that I work on in my marriage you know depending on what I'm working on that week you know I have two jobs while I'm building my business so uh Mm -hmm. I'll I'll get home from working at the restaurant that I'm at and you know spend an hour and a half editing a podcast Mm -hmm. and my wife's like uh hello like the house is destroyed our kids like murdered the house and i'm on my last leg here i'm like oh yeah that's right i have other things i need to be responsible for but my brain prioritizes the things that i'm passionate about at that time and there's a lot of guilt that can be associated with that because it's not that i'm not passionate about my kids or my wife or contributing to my family and so there's a lot of it a lot of wrestling with that it's like okay i do care about them why can't i commit to picking up the house after my boys? yeah so it is it, yeah it's something i'm still wrestling with and f- trying to figure out and yeah. it's a journey all the time and that's why i think it's really important again i don't want to continue to repeat myself but have have that grace for yourself and mm-hmm. you know don't take it too far to the point where you like you never do anything because we could all do that i mean right, right. <laughs> uh, but 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 be okay trying it differently be be okay having to apologize mm. uh, be okay not apologizing you know i i i don't know if this is true for you kyle but i over apologize mm. and so because <laughs> i'm i preemptively will apologize hey by the way i could be late and i'm mm. ne- i'm never late i tell people i'm gonna be late all the time i'm never late because i i married to someone with adhd and so i'm over i'm i've gotten to the point where i overcompensate for her being late and so i'm i'm notoriously early to everything mm-hmm. And then I'll sit in the car because I don't want to be the first one there. You know, whatever. <laughs>
1: right, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a challenge because I think everybody, if you have a different lived experience too, I think it can have different effects and um, how you navigate ADHD as well. So yeah. um, depending on, you know, how you grew up and things like that. And so I think that, you know, it's, it's a challenge. And I think that we have that, like we, we talked about, I don't want to repeat myself either, but Earlier we talked about colonialism. This this idea that this is how you're supposed to be, and it's not okay. Like if I do this, I'm letting someone else down. Right. I am, I am, I am a menace, or, or I'm not. That's probably a bad word, but I'm, I'm just like somebody that's not keeping up with the program. I'm not keeping up with the program, right. and so what is happening? I'm passionate about those things, but why can't I remember that I'm supposed to be here? At this time, or why can't I remember? Oh, doing this is showing that I care, but I'm really not doing it on purpose, you know? So I think that, um, yeah, it's a definite big thing for me. I think I apologize way too much. I apologize. I've gotten better, but, but yeah. A, A way that I see that
2: all the time in myself is I, over the past couple of years, particularly, I've really struggled with, you know, how, why do I want my career to be the way I want it to be? And I, I'm going down this really difficult path of, you know, I'm working at a restaurant to provide for my family while I'm building a business, which is something I care about. And there have been so many times where, you know, the restaurant gets slow and shifts get, you know, sparse and hips are less or whatever. And rent, rent is the same mm. or, or more at times. Mm. And it just makes life so hard. And I think, why couldn't I just get a job working at a bank that I don't give a shit about Mm. that pays enough for my kids to have a nice house with a yard Mm. and all these things that we don't have that they deserve. Mm. Why can't I just do that? And it's a real, it's taken so much wrestling to stay, to stay on the path that I, I believe is right for me. And there's a lot of guilt that's associated with that. There's a lot of extra burden on, you know, my kids who don't know it, on my wife who does and is too kind to say anything most of the time. But there's a lot that goes into it.
1: Hmm. Yeah, for sure.
2: Thanks for uh,
0: just opening yourself up a little bit and just, just sharing your journey with us, man. We We appreciate it. Um, I know I've said it a few times, but I, I know somebody will resonate with this in your story. And I, I think it's, it's this conversation, I think is very life-giving and just beautiful to me. Like, you know, um, moving on, um, just cause you know, Alex, I know you got, you got to get
2: out here soon. Um, I don't have that. Sorry. I'm, I can go probably 15 minutes or more than I said I could. You're I, good. I was, okay, cool. Cool so don't don't rush
0: cool well you you mentioned something that is an easy transition to our next part of this conversation you said talking about your own adhd and realizing that it's adhd is more of a spectrum Mm -hmm. than a binary Mm -hmm. like either you have adhd or you don't you know and the conversations around, you know, adults with disabilities and autism. That that that's been a big conversation um at least within the last five years, that autism is more of a spectrum than just right. you have this one kind of autism or mm-hmm. you don't, you know. And with a lot of other things, um, they're more of a spectrum than you know then these binaries that have been created in our world you know um like you know disability you know or um um neurodiversity you know is more of a spectrum or gender you know or sexuality is more of a spectrum than like you know these binaries that that we've been given um the the systems that that we live in you know as in the west at least um there there is a we we're always given these binaries of how to think about them whether that be you know the justice system or economic systems you know like there there there's always like these binaries that we are grown up conditioned to view them when really it's more of a spectrum it it doesn't mean like anybody's viewpoint is any better than the other mm-hmm. now there are some on the opposite end that i would probably critique a little harder but um it's there It it's okay for it to be a spectrum of you in these things than the binaries that we've been given and so the the part of your journey um Of coming to this realization all all that to say kind of set up you know i think the way you you have it worded on your profile is that you realized there was a lot more for you to learn as a white straight man when it comes to social justice and thinking about you know just take the white cisgendered male thing like you know this is like part of my journey like you know as a white you know cisgendered straight male really navigating the way I think about gender and sexuality and realizing that it is more of a it's more of a spectrum than you know this this binary that we've been given and so what was like your first realization of when, when did you really start to realize in this conversation around, you know, social justice or um, the gender and sexuality conversation or, um, you know, the, the conversation of black lives matter and the history yeah. of our country and that conversation, like what, what was your kind of, was it, was there a moment where like, you realize, oh, like I, I really have more to learn and kind of started this journey of learning or was it a progression of things? Like, what did that look like for you? Yeah,
2: so for me, I was really fortunate to have the the life I have and the parents that I have and I owe a lot of it to my exposure growing up and I could have easily, I grew up in suburbia, Colorado, graduated in class of 400 when- Probably five of those kids were black. And so I could have really easily been sheltered from all of that. And a big part of it for me was, like I had mentioned, going on mission trips as a kid was really eye-opening for me. I started going on mission trips when I was 13 and did that all through my youth. And the thing that stuck out with me is we'd go to these really poor places. So I can still, I, I will never forget some of these neighborhoods we went to well, one of the neighbor the neighborhood that we end up setting up our nonprofit in it's this is this, this this basically just big pile of sand that uh, uh, the government said okay whatever people can just live there instead of being homeless, and they they make their houses out of whatever they can find. Sometimes they have enough money to do some actual construction with concrete, but most of the time it's you know, corrugated metal roofing, roofing and, you know, being held together by whatever they can find and stuff like that. And the thing that stuck out with me, the more times I would go to these places was these people are still happy. I have all these things back home. I have, you know, my Xbox in my room and, you know, a warm shower and, you know, a door with a lock on it. So I have privacy, all these things, the school, I ride a bus to school, all these All these things that are so different from the things that they had. But it really stuck with me. These people are still happy. And to me, that ignited this. It ignited something in me that just said, that's not fair. I didn't do anything to earn a better life than they did. I got lucky in where I was born. And so I started to view the world, I think, from that point of you know, some people are just different. It's not their fault. And because it's not their fault, they shouldn't be punished. And we should, and then that was just kind of a a starting point for me. And I realized, I realized this kind of more recently that one thing that I really attribute a lot of that to is I, sorry, I have a hard time (laughs) with my ADHD. I have a hard time praising myself. But one thing that I realized that I'm good at is i i've always had an ability to see things from other people's perspectives better than other people do and i'm i've gotten to a point i'm really proud of that in myself and so that was something that always that always was in the back of my back of my mind and got to the point where uh you know like i said i started a career at nonprofit. i was working in the samaritan house a, a local homeless shelter here uh downtown denver and a resident came out to me one day uh, a black guy came out to me, one of the residents there at the at the shelter and he said, Alex there's racism here in the Samaritan house. I said, okay, you know the typical white response the first thing I said was okay did I do anything and then you know quickly pivoted and I was like, okay it's not about me um and listened to him and he told me about, the racism that he saw and was experiencing from staff, the the black residents would be searched more or hassled more for this or for that, things like that. And I listened and I said, okay, well, please let me know if there's anything I can ever do. And he, he was very kind and I was very appreciative that, that he had come to me and shared that with me. But I immediately was like, I don't know what I can do to tangibly help him. And so what I did was, I went to, we had two other staff members there that were, that were black. And I went to, I went to both of them. And one of the, this conversation that I had with my black coworkers stuck with me for so long. I said, I will never understand what he's experiencing. I will never understand what you've had to go through because of the way you look being different from the way I look. I'm just never going to get to the point where I understand that. And so I don't know how I can help. I don't know how I can be there for him and make a difference for that person. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, you can. She goes, you've been discriminated against, right? You know what it feels like. It's the same thing. It's the same feeling. And I, and I remember, I don't know what I said back to her, but I walked away and I was like, I can't do that. That's, I'm comparing our stories. I'm ranking, you know, all this stuff. I don't want to like, say that what I've gone through is the same as what he's gone through. now it's just, it's it's not the right way for me. Like, I was not so uncomfortable with it. And then years later, so in, the, in that summer of 2020, obviously we have George Floyd and all the fallout after that. That was a big catalyst for me to start the podcast that I had thought of for years and put off and procrastinated. But that conversation came back to me all those years later. And I thought, holy crap, she's right. I'm never going to understand what that guy went through. But I know what it feels like to be discriminated against in some sort of way. I know what that feels like. And I realized that I could extrapolate on that and build empathy for that person. No, I'm never going to be racially discriminated against. Not here in Denver, at least. And I'm not going to have that direct experience, but what I can do is I can, I can extrapolate on what does that feel like and how does that make me feel to hear that? And since starting my podcast, I've had conversations with so many different people. And uh one other story that I like to, to share from a, from a guest that I had, I had a guest, his name is Michael Dumlau, He's the 10th episode of my podcast. He's a, He's a gay, Filip- gay Filipino man. He works in the Pentagon, and he shows up to work in high fashion, big heels, bows, dresses, things like that. Not the typical work uniform for Pentagon attire, I would imagine. No. Yeah. And amazing person. He he came on. He was talking about his book, and he was telling me about when he goes in, When every time he enters a room, first thing he does is he scans the room for how safe it is for him to be his real self. And that was so impactful for me because immediately I recognized I have never done that in my entire life. Never have I I ever had to look around the room to see how safe it is for me to be myself, the straight white guy in the room. It's always safe for me to be who I am. The world is used to me being exactly how I am. Again, I didn't do anything to create that security for myself. I just happened to be born. I just happened to be born the way that the world wants to see most people. And that stuck with me that, and I've brought that up to so many different people. And I said, yeah, this is something I really learned. And they're like, oh yeah, I do that. I've always done that. And everyone, everyone does that. Women do that. People of color do that. Queer people do that. They all have to assess how safe is it for them to be themselves. And that was really heartbreaking for me. And so what I realized was there is something tangible that we can do. We can start doing that. I don't have to scan the room for my own safety, but what I've started to do is I will scan a room and be like, okay, who is here that might not feel safe? And there's little things that you can do. You can make sure their voice is heard. You know, use, use your voice to stand up for that person's voice. You know, and and so it's one of those things where I've I've learned so much from these people. And sorry, just one one more story I can't help but continue good, to man. share. Um there's I my last episode that I came out on my podcast. I don't know when this is gonna air, but episode episode uh 18 of my podcast, I had a a friend of mine on, Ethan Nakana, and he's a black guy. He was telling me about his experience working in admin at hospitals. And he has multiple graduate degrees. You know, he's a lawyer. Decade of experience working in his roles. And he approached them and basically said, sorry, there's crisis happening behind my door. Uh, But he, he ended up approaching his his higher ups and said, okay, I, I think I'm ready for advancement. Like what kind of things can I do? Where can I, you know, have room to grow in this organization? And they said, Ethan, why don't you run our kitchens? The guy with two graduate degrees and decade of experience working in hospitals. Why don't you run our kitchens, Ethan? And what was so crazy to me about that story was I was more pissed off than he was. He's been programmed to let that roll off his back. And so, to me, I was so outraged by that because they might have well just called him boy right there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it couldn't be more explicit in my mind how unfair that was because he he's one of, very few people who look like him in that room. And so that to me, it's been a journey obviously. And so those are some of the moments that I look back on and, and think there are ways we can change this. And the big, I think the biggest thing that we can do to, to approach this conversation is have the damn conversation. Mm -hmm. What's not just like talk about it in private. What's acknowledge it in the room with the people. Yeah. And if, and if you think someone's being discriminated against, ask the person who's doing the discriminating. They probably aren't doing it on purpose. They've been programmed by our this colonial world that we still live in. But if you call it out, you say something, there's a good chance that something can happen from that. You know, it's like when we talk about bullies, like you don't have to fight a bully to stop a bully. But if you act like you're going to fight the bully, they likely will back down. Mm-hmm. And I think in this case, especially in the world we live in now, I don't think that anyone is doing this intentionally. Well, let me let me take that back. I think most people aren't doing things like this intentionally. But that's not an excuse to continue to discriminate against people. We have with the the ability, we have the resources, we should have the knowledge by now to know what to look for. But we still don't because it's too easy for us to live in the world that was made for us. And so it takes work on our part to step out, to be uncomfortable and to stand up for people like that. Because I could go my entire life and never have to feel any sort of pain regarding discrimination in any sort of way. I I, there. I mean, other than my ADHD, maybe like I can hide that probably for the most part if I wanted to, but I could get, get I could get away with it for the rest of my life, never being discriminated against, never have to worry about it. And so it takes effort on my part all the time to, to think of things in a different way, to to look at how someone else is being treated, to look at how so- someone else is being affected in that room. It takes effort for me to acknowledge that with my kids. My, my son came home during Black History Month from school. He was in kindergarten, and they were teaching him about Martin Luther King. They didn't tell him that Martin Luther King had been assassinated. They, they left that out because he's a five-year-old and he couldn't handle it. We told him. He asked why. I said, because of all the work he was doing. And that was so infuriating to him. And it should be. We need to be okay being mad about that. We need to be okay being uncomfortable. And it because it takes work for us to not do that. The world's set up for us to be comfortable. It just is. Yeah. And so we have to be okay putting in the effort to be uncomfortable. And that's hard to do, but it's it's addictive and i've cu- i'm i can't stop doing it and i think it's so important
0: now i <clears throat> i think you really touched on something there that i mean a, a big reason that i think it's hard for people to break out of the i don't know if this word the binastic or the binary you know ways of thinking um mm-hmm is because it's uncomfortable or yeah. you know what you were you know directly touching on was the privilege aspect yeah you know whether that be um uh, white privilege you know mm-hmm. in a country that has historically oppressed minority groups you know or yeah. um straight privilege you know in a any. In a heteronormative world, like, and the uncomfortability of that being the 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 appearance of that being directly threatened, mm-hmm. when in reality, it yes is uncomfortable, <laughs> but it, nobody is saying you you don't need to be straight course you know straightness is evil or anything like that nobody is saying that i'd hate straight people (laughs) yeah like nobody is saying that your whiteness is evil you know right it's just simply saying hey like you you have privilege Mm -hmm. you know and that can come in many different ways like you you don't receive discrimination you know um if you're white and straight for the most part um you know the 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 transgender conversation in our country right now you know it just many different things like in in i think a big piece is that people just don't want to be uncomfortable and they they feel like who they are which it's okay that for, you know for you to be who you are right like nobody is saying it's not okay for you to be who you are right what people are saying is hey there are other people in this world that don't have some of those privileges mm-hmm. like queer people are discriminated against in our country in in many ways um there's still the conversation around you know uh, police brutality and you know unconscious bias that comes out towards you know um people of color you know or immigrants you know and it's the uncomfortability of wrestling through those things you know why people can't have the conversation you know Mm -hmm. and just just trying to reframe it's like hey like Nobody is saying that you need to change or you're evil. Um, we're we're just trying to get people to make space for everybody else and wrestle through the the ways that that we can use our own privilege. Mm-hmm. And I, I I like the way that you kind of frame that was stepping into a room as a white straight man, like in examining the room not for the ways that I can be safe because I'm probably safe in this room, but the ways mm-hmm. that there might be other people scanning the room to figure out if they're safe and, you know, maybe, um, helping lift up their voice, like you said, or, um, <clears throat> stepping into to their situation and listening to their story, you know, um, I kind of lost my train of thought there, but, but all that to say basically that it's, it's, it's about making room for, you know, what other people would call the other, um, Mm -hmm. which honestly, at the end of the day, you know, queer people, immigrants, people of color, you know, should simply just be our neighbors and our friends. Right. Mm Um, but yeah, I, I just really think it's it's the, the uncomfortability and people feeling like because you say somebody has privilege, that means they're evil or they're wrong. No, it means that we all have some work to do with mm-hmm. our own sorts of privileges that we hold. Just to it's a stewardship opportunity, stewarding the privilege that we we have to help make space for, you know, fill in the blank, queer people, um, people of color, people that have been historically marginalized and oppressed. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love the, the way that, you know, you, you, you kind of platform that and, and bringing on and just sharing those stories, you know, um, because the we me and Kyle did an episode on stepping into other people's social location um sure. social location you know just basically being like somebody else's uh sexual identity or somebody else's um socio socioeconomic status or somebody's um racial status like um shutting down our need to rebut or respond respond and mm-hmm. simply stepping in and fully listening and embracing this person um and I I, I love that it, it sounds like that that's exactly what you're trying to do with your platform is like helping your listeners step into other people's social location with every episode and I love that you know um like you mentioned bringing that, understanding you know of other people
2: yeah yeah i think it's sorry i didn't mean to cut you out there you're good i was no, i think i think it yeah. is um be okay asking questions you know a big a big part of it for me was i had a hard time asking questions of people who I assumed were exhausted of giving me answers because I didn't want to offend them. I didn't want to say it the wrong way, this or that. And I had someone on a little while back who I we kind of touched on this in our conversation. And she's a black woman. She does uh, diversity trainings in, in corporate settings and things like that. And she has her own podcast. But she said, you're going to offend someone. You have to come to terms with that. But if you do that and you have good intentions, you'll learn from it and you'll be less offensive next time, basically. And that's a hard thing for us to do because once we start down this allyship journey of trying to be better and trying to better ourselves, we become so self-conscious of any tendencies that we might have that are a part of the problem. We have them. I have them, you guys have them. And that's not because you guys are terrible people. It's because we were also brought up in this system. And yes. so, recognizing <laughs> that, being okay with asking a question, don't try to offend someone. Be delicate with the way you ask. You know, if you're asking something really sensitive, ask permission. If you can ask something about that, do it in a more private setting. Maybe there's things you can do to be more careful about it, but ask the question you need to. And if they don't give you the answer that you want, or if they don't choose to answer, you got to be okay with that too. And so that's, I think a big takeaway for me on this journey is you have to be okay with asking those questions and you have to be okay with the answers that are given back to you. And some of that might suck. You know, you might realize where your problems are, but ultimately that's a blessing because you can work on that and you can notice that more. And so it gives you more insight, more information to work with. And I, there's no, I think a big thing I struggle with a lot of time is like, there's so many things that we could be doing. There's so many things I could be, I could be planning marches downtown every weekend. I could be donating to this charity, that charity. There's so many things we could be doing. I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to experience guilt over what we're not doing. But I think what I, some of, one of the things I've come to terms with and I've learned is the big thing is let's make this normal. Let's normalize the conversation. Let's be okay asking questions. Let's be okay being the person in a big room to ask the question that many people are thinking about. Even if it's uncomfortable. We need we need to be uncomfortable. And it's not easy. I've been, I mean, I've been doing this podcast for, you know, a couple of years now, having a lot of conversations that ultimately I I can I'm terrified of some of the questions I've asked. And sometimes I say that. I had a I had a guest on recently who's non-binary and trans and I don't understand that world as much and in the in the, in an effort of trying to understand that better I asked questions that I I felt were insensitive and I tried to qualify that which I'm trying to do better not doing but they were very very patient with me. I messed up their pronouns all the time. They identified as they them. I I called them a he several times and i stopped i corrected myself and they were very patient with me and i think that's a part of it is you're gonna mess up so it's better to mess up and correct yourself and learn from it than to just not try
0: yeah yeah i love that I think with the especially with the with that the non-binary you know conversation and and pronouns um I think I think people one like you said I I think they're scared to offend people. They don't want to offend people, right? you know, and so you're like, where do you even start that conversation? I don't want to offend people, you know. Yeah. And then the, the whole idea of I mean, it, it, you you mostly get, hear this from right-wing talking points, you know, but the the whole conversation of like it, I think the way I've heard it termed before is like, you know, the gender authoritarians or something, you know, um, like not accepting, like, I'm not going to, you're a man. You're not a them, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're a man. You're not a woman, you know, and it's like, just, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't remove anything from your life to, like accept the fact that this is just who they are it doesn't remove a single thing from your life like I I remember all the debate around um what was I don't remember the exact name of the the marriage act they just passed recently oh I
1: don't know either yeah
0: what what was it called Kyle um you probably yeah,
1: remember, I remember. The equality of marriage act i believe
0: something like that the 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 fairness in marriage something something to that extent you know and like people freaking out about oh marriage is the the foundation of you know society and they were trying to redefine marriage now and like um Basically, it's it sounded like they didn't say this, but it just it just sounded like, oh, the world's going to collapse now because the foundation of society is being rewritten, like and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, no, no, like people are still going to get married. People are still going to have children. Right. Like that's that's not going to stop. Like this is just, again, that aspect of it's just making space for people that we need to realize exist in the world and have should have the same rights. Right. And it doesn't take away from your marriage, you know, or it doesn't change you, what your view of marriage is. Right. Like
2: it's a plural thing. Yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off, but like, no, you're good. That's the right. It's, it's, it doesn't affect your life. Exactly. It affects there. By saying that someone can change their gender and be trans and, they look like a woman, but they say they're a man. It, it, that doesn't affect your life at all. You don't have to do that. You can be whoever you are. All they're asking for is permission, and f- you're know, not even permission necessarily. But like, leave them alone for being who they are. That's all. That's all it is. And I think that's a big part of like, we need to be better at looking at the world from other people's perspectives. Because from my perspective, I am I'm, I'm I'm cisgendered. I'm a man. I'm straight. I'm a father. I'm I'm all these things. I a list off all these things. It doesn't impact my life at all for someone to tell me that they're trans or non-binary doesn't change. It doesn't change how I feel about myself. But if I don't respect them and how and if I don't use their correct pronouns, if I don't acknowledge their transition, and I and I treat them differently because of that, it impacts their life. They're being put in a box that they don't belong in. And that doesn't happen to us. We Our box is the standard box. That's We need to recognize that Take putting forcing them to live their lives differently has an impact on them. Their lives are harder unnecessarily because they're trying to make a new box or fit into a different box. And that's not a struggle that we have to deal with. And we don't have to understand. That's one thing that I learned... that i've on this journey and i had my the non-binary guest that i was referring to i was talking to them and i said like what should what can i better understand from after hearing your story he goes you don't have to understand me just respect me it's okay to not get it just let it be so you don't have to get it first and that's i think a huge piece of it
0: yeah yeah I look no. it up it's the respect for marriage act sorry respect okay that's what it was yeah, yeah the the respect for marriage act yeah and i apologize I need to get going in the next five minutes or so you're good we can we can i think we got a a good spot to to land the plane do you have any final thoughts kyle before we kind of land this thing
1: yeah well uh alex i want to say thank you for showing up and being willing to sit in this space and uh and sit at the table and talk with us about your experience and your journey. And uh, it's great to have a fellow person who's kind of navigated some of the same things that I've navigated in some ways. Um, and thank you for the work that you do day in and day out to be a voice for those who may not have the opportunity to do so.
2: Thank you guys. I really appreciate the opportunity and the time is you guys are awesome as well. I, I appreciate what you guys are doing and the perspective that you guys have, and just the openness to to hearing all these different stories as well. So, thank you so much for letting me be a part of this today. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. Um. Really, really quick, because I just realized we forgot to do this. Our I forgot to do our ice that we normally do at the beginning of the podcast. Are sure. you a coffee drinker?
2: I am a coffee drinker. Okay. I. I, I don't drink as regularly as I used to but I enjoy okay. it still so we're we're called the pour over podcast which is that
0: ode to you know pour over coffee right you know what is Alex's favorite either coffee
2: or brew method so typically when I drink coffee I drink uh we usually in our house'll we'll have either uh, like French press or something like pour over, and I drink my coffee black. I I spent some time living in Mexico in a in a small town that produced coffee and really ice, grew my ice. love and appreciation for coffee that way. And so yeah, I that's how I drink my coffee. I if I have the chance, I'll have an espresso or an americano instead of uh you know just to, for the extra kick and everything. But still like. Leave it black. Don't touch it. That's how I like it.
0: Heck yeah. I love a pour over and Americano. So good choice. All right. Well, where can people find you, get connected to your podcasts, social media, give, give us all that. And obviously I'll have it in the show notes, but.
2: Sure. So you can um, learn more about my podcast. Uh, my my podcast is called the Epics Podcast. Epics being a play on words of uh, epics. An epic can be a, a wonderful story, right? And so that's where that all started with is I was looking through a thesaurus for the word story to find uh, a name for the podcast. And I couldn't get over the word epics. And so at the epics podcast, um, we're available on any platform that you listen to a podcast, epicspodcast.com. You can find um, all of my episodes and more information there on social media, anywhere at epicspod. So that's epics with an S-P-O-D.
0: Cool awesome well i'll have that all linked in our show notes alex thanks again for joining us man and sharing your story and your journey um and as always um if you enjoy our podcast make sure to leave us a review let us know what you think um connect with connect with us on our social medias at Peaks and valleys have those linked down below and as always thanks for joining us at our table and we will catch you guys on the next episode